8 to 10 p.m. The Viewpoint with Ashraf Garda. The Viewpoint with Ashraf Garda. Okay, there you have all the things that and, and Jimmy Money said, or Mzwanile Money, in fact, said so many things. The one thing is very clear in terms of his new party philosophy, which is effectively faith-based, right, to a large degree, that uh, his philosophy around looking at things around race will never, ever happen again. He will talk about uh, disadvantage and not disadvantage, not about white and black, not ever again. He's moved on. That is quite interesting. We'll have a podcast up of that. Uh, chat with uh, Mzwani Lemani tomorrow morning around 9 o'clock. You can check it up on the SFM website, sfm.coza, but also find it on my timeline because I will certainly tweet it when I get it. Uh, that's Ashraf Garda, and I'll certainly tag Mzwani Lemani as well as, as he's been saying all along, ATM, and has a good laugh about uh, the irony around all of that as well. Let's move on. We're going to talk innovation later on with Rihanna Musaji, the founder of the Barefoot Facilitator, around getting your mind to think innovation, which I think is really important. But maybe innovation for political parties is a critical issue to look at right now. The broader issue, picking up from the various um, manifestos of the political parties, the latest one being the EFF at the weekend before the ANC, the DA, and many of the other parties, not that large as well, is honestly, what are these manifestos really all about? And, And very importantly, do they work? So what is a manifesto? What purpose does it serve? Does it ever work? Is there a scoreboard? Do we check up against the promises of that manifesto versus the reality when they get into power? But in fact, we've only had one political party in power uh, in the democratic South Africa. So how do we measure? No, but maybe there's issues of regional powers like the DA in the Western Cape. So maybe there is a way to measure that. So I've got two guests who are going to help us with answers. Uh, Prince uh, Michele, we'll get to him to join us in a moment or so. He's a political analyst. But first up, Professor Stephen Friedman, who's a political analyst and research professor at the University of Johannesburg. And sometimes shopper like me, a check in Amarantia. Uh, professor Friedman, good chatting to you. Hi. Professor Friedman, do I have you there? Yes, can you hear me? Yes, I did introduce a sometime shopper like me I at, at, gre- at uh, yes. Checkers <laughs> Greenside Emirates. Thank you for your time. Right. Well, I think it's an important discussion we're having, and good of you to give off your time. So, so what is a manifesto, and, and does it really work? Well, yeah, I think that there's a second question. Look, let's look at the theory for a second. <clears throat> the theory is that <clears throat> if you're a political party and you want to persuade people uh, to vote for you, you draw up a manifesto saying this is what we're going to do when we're in government Um, and in theory even if you don't expect the party to be in government so it's one of the smaller parties uh, you like what they have to say uh, and therefore you vote for that. The reality is very very different Um, you know uh, these manifestos are often extremely long uh, to be honest, uh, I don't think that all that many political journalists or commentators read through the whole document. Uh, voters certainly don't read through the whole document. Um, and, and, you know, that might sound like people being apathetic, but, but actually it's quite a reasonable thing not to do. Uh, because, first of all, obviously, if the party uh, is one of the smaller parties, who's not ever going to actually uh, implement what is in the manifesto. Uh, and secondly, if it's a large party, as you said in your intro, which is governing either at national or provincial level, um, then in the real world, the manifestos uh, are never implemented. Uh, and, and that's not entirely unreasonable also, because, you know, what a political party wants to do 
uh, and wants to impress its supporters with this one thing. Uh, you know, the way I always put it is, you know, a party is some people, government has to govern all people. Uh, and that means that when you come into office and you've got your manifesto, uh, you have to deal with all sorts of nasty realities, like the fact that there are people whose cooperation you need who don't want uh, to do whatever is in your manifesto, and then you have to negotiate with them, uh, and then what you want to do changes. Um, so I, I'm always a little bit, you know, the theory is there, but I'm mm. always a little bit puzzled that so much uh, energy goes into drawing up these manifestos, uh, the rallies, etc. Uh, so much ink is spilled writing about them. Uh, but really, I would be very surprised if election manifestos influenced very many votes at all. Okay, well, that, that's very, very telling. So if, if they don't influence votes, then, then how should a political party approach an election, as we do right now, without a type of manifesto? Would, there be, would that count against them? I don't think it would count against them at all. Uh, you know, I, I really can't imagine voters saying, well, look, you know, this is not uh, a party which has issued a manifesto. We're not going to vote for them. Um, you know, I, I always I wonder sometimes whether, you know, so much energy goes into the manifesto simply because it's, it's become a routine which people do and not, you know, people don't think about whether it actually benefits the party or not. Obviously, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating to a certain extent in the sense that, yes, it gets the party media covering, it should it gets the party some mileage, etc. Um, but I don't think political parties in general spend enough time thinking seriously about what gets people to vote for them or what doesn't. And I think that this uh, fixations manifesto is, is a good example mm. of that. I would be pretty confident that... Uh, if any of the major parties didn't bother to produce a manifesto at all, it probably wouldn't make any difference to how many votes. Yeah. And do I take it that, that in terms of manifestos, there's a history of this that goes back, what, hundreds of years, not just in South Africa, but beyond that? Oh, absolutely, yeah, oh, sure. Uh, you know, they're called different things. I mean, <laughs> you know, the most ridiculous example in the world that I can think of is America, where it's called the party platform, and they have these conventions, and they pass the party platform, and everybody in American politics knows that nothing in the party platform is ever implemented. Because I, I take it, I mean, we're not talking business plans here, but we were talking business, we would talk about a, a vision statement, and, and that inevitably shouldn't be more than 10 lines. So, you know, when you think back to Freedom Charter, for example, it, it's like a short vision statement that represents an end goal of a, of a political party. Now, the manifestos have evolved, where they, they're actually not vision statements, right? Because they, they are in-depth and as you made the point uh, of, of a party, but when they're in government, they're not a party anymore. They have to think as a government, which, is, which comes with all the complexities uh, that, that goes with being the government and not a political party. Exactly. Um, so what attracts voters is, is you know, you, you send out a message. Uh, voters get a sense of whether you're the kind of party that speaks for people from, like them. Uh, and that's, you know, that is, as you correctly say, that is about the short, short sharp messages you send out uh, in various ways. Um, you know, the manifesto is, 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 is a sort of, uh, you know, a, a, a joyous occasion for the kind of people who like discussing policy in detail. But how many people do like discussing policy in detail? Not that many. Hmm. So let, let's take an example of uh, of, of the EFF uh, manifesto launch uh, or election launch day de facto uh, on on the weekend, right? 
besides, obviously, there's tremendous support. Well, I would think whoever goes to a political rally would be supportive of that party by and large. So naturally, there's support for the for the leadership. But but do you take it that besides one or two, you know, key messages, which let's take in the EFF's case, would be pretty obvious because we tend to know that anyway, right? There's very little actual detail, although the manifesto is very, very detailed. Look, in the main, a person who goes to a launch... Uh, is, as you suggested, committed to the party anyway. It would take a great deal, uh, you know, of, of uh, diversion from what the party's always been for the person who goes to the rally to, to change their mind on the basis of the manifesto. Uh, and also, realistically, I mean, if you look at the rally over the weekend and the ANC rally, and, and you know, mm-hmm. the DA will no doubt have the same uh, sort of occasion. Uh, what is it that people remember which may influence voters? It's, uh, it's the speech by the party leader. Uh, and the speech by the party leader uh, inevitably sums up uh, a couple of points in the manifesto. So, uh, uh, you know, you've got uh, a 20, 30 page. I mean, I know the ANC one was 64 pages. Uh, what's the takeaway line? Uh, you know, the President Ramaphosa is, is going to be tough on corruption and he's going to emphasize jobs. Uh, the ESF pages and pages and pages, uh, what is it about? Well, uh, a particular position on land and, and free higher education, etc. So it's a couple of what we might call four or five bullet points that emerge out of this, uh, which would emerge just as well if, uh, if they simply had a rally and the leader made a speech. Mm. Okay, we're going to touch on maybe just some of the policy issues, not too much detail, just a general, very loose uh, comparison. We'll be also joined by uh, Prince Michele just in a moment or so. 0891104207, you can engage on air. It's The show is called The Viewpoint, so it's your chance to give us your viewpoint. Share it with the nation. You can tag us uh, if you're tweeting, hashtag SFM Viewpoint. Tag me, Ashraf Garda, and SFM Radio as well. You also have the option to, S- to SMS us, 4093. And if by chance you want to go the uh, the uh, WhatsApp voice note route, which I prefer you going live on it because we can engage you then. If you are going that route, then it's maximum 30 seconds. If you're going to talk for more than 30 seconds on that we we can't play it but that whatsapp voice note number 0614-104-107-0614-104-107 election manifestos what are they do they really work the minister of agriculture forestry and fisheries mr senzeni zogwan has declared a list of protected tree species under section 12 of the national forest act of 1998 According to this act, no person is allowed to cut down or destroy any protected trees without a license. Contravention of this declaration is an offense, and any person who is found guilty can receive a fine or be sentenced to imprisonment for a period of up to three years. For a full list of these protected trees, you can visit the department's website at www.daff.gov.za or contact Shumani Sivani on 012-309-5765. Brought to you by the Department of Agriculture, Forestry and Fisheries. Wanting to do business in the African energy sector and meet the who's who in energy? Register now to attend the Africa Energy in Daba conference and exhibition. Join African energy ministers, top energy experts, find out about the latest energy project deals and meet companies exhibiting. Don't miss out from 19 to 20 February at the Santin Convention Center. Register now at africaenergyindaba.com. Hashtag SAFM Viewpoint.
Fascinating discussion around uh, election manifestos. What are they and, and do they really work? Uh, we have as a guest for now, Professor Stephen Friedman, who is a political analyst. He's a research professor at uh, UJ, which is the University of uh, Johannesburg. Right. Stephen, let, let's then pick up on... You know, if, if we, it's interesting what you're saying. People listen to the leader, um, and he, they're going to go to rallies. Then, effectively, in just about all cases, they they they've got the, the party's got their vote anyway, right? How has that, however, changed? Let's take in South Africa, in particular, in the last ten or fifteen years, where in the age of mass media, two things: lots of rallies are now being covered live on the one end, and if not physically live in terms of visuals, they lie via social media, via Twitter, where you can pick up a trend of the key points right through. How has how that changed in terms of convincing people otherwise? In fact, I mean, how does social media changing the kind of messages parties send out? Yeah, well, well, it could be social media as well as mainstream media because I'm saying that, you know, I, I think by and large South Africa in the past, uh, you know, none of the elections we, we had wall-to-wall coverage in the build-up uh, to the depth that we are having now because now we have 24-hour channels that can do just that. Yeah, sure. Um, look, you know, the... Uh, the point about that is that in, in, in theory, it allows the parties more opportunities uh, to, 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 to make their points, etc. Uh, but I think something we haven't discussed, which is relevant to your question, is, well, you know, how do people make up their mind about voting for a party mm. anyway? Uh, and I don't think there are too many people, you know, there's a kind of, if you open some of the political science textbooks, you sometimes get the impression that the average voter is a person who, you know, sits at the, the, the proverbial kitchen table with all the parties, lists of them, of, of, of promises and decides which one benefits them the most. And, and none of this really happens in the real world. Uh, people go with, uh, <clears throat> all over the world, not just in South Africa, people go with the party which they feel speaks for people like them. Um, and very little of that has got to do with with concrete policy promises. Uh, it, it's got to do with the kind of messages parties send out. It's got to do with the kind of slogans they adopt. It's got to do with uh, the kind of messages they send out uh, on billboards, etc. Um, and, yeah, social media amplifies those to a certain extent. Um, but, uh, you know, parties tend not to use social media and other media uh, to go into terribly much detail about policy because uh, they got field tells and it's not going to make any difference to the election. Mm. So, so therefore, your, your own answer to that question that you posed uh, historically in, in South Africa and around the world, what are the four or five things generally that voters look at that allows them, uh, that sways them to vote for a party? You know, I would sum up in, you know, where we are politically at the moment, and that's probably been the case for many years, in one word, not five, and that word is trust. Um, I think it is so much a case of saying, look, I trust this party either to govern or, or not even necessarily, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're not a supporter of a governing party, uh, I trust this party to speak for people like me. I think that this party understands how people like me think uh, and that uh, in Parliament and elsewhere it will say what people like me think, and I trust that party. Um, if people trust the party uh, to speak for people like them, that's, that's, 
that's that's how you you make your decision and that's how you vote. Uh, obviously, at, at stages, because we have very strong party loyalties in this country, uh, you know, people talk about used to talk historically about people in the townships voting in block for the ANC. In fact, at the moment, if you look at the suburbs. Uh, people vote in, in a much tighter block for the DA and the suburbs. Uh, and that means that sometimes people will shrug their shoulders and go and vote for the party that they don't trust all that much. Uh, but that's the party that speaks for people like them, uh, and it's better than all the alternatives that vote for that, for that party. Uh, but if you can persuade voters to trust you, if you can persuade voters that you are the party uh, that uh, you know they can they can, they can uh, trust with 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 their ideas and their view and and and, and their interests etc. Uh, then you're going to get a lot of it. Okay, let's get to, let's get some calls. Oh eight nine one one zero four two seven. So okay, we're talking in in a literal sense manifestos, but maybe slightly broader than that. Without getting into the nitty gritties of the different political parties, which we've touched on in the past, and we're bound to touch on that once again. But just the overall issues of uh, manifestos and why they work or don't, and even just general policies, and perhaps throw that in into that the issue of the importance of the leader and the type of messaging that then takes place on the on these election posters that's going to spring up and and we're going to we're going to it'll be in our faces certainly in the, in the townships and suburbs and the cities all around the country very very soon felix from nelspread go ahead hi good evening thank you Ashraf, for taking my call thank you my pleasure go ahead felix as always oh yes i think we must understand that it's not manifesto that works it's not campaign that works it's people that works now we must understand that the human mind is frozen over generations, over decades, many centuries. So once you are addicted to voting for a particular party, it doesn't really matter about the campaign or the manifesto. You are just used to voting for that party. And whatever other parties say, we never, you never listen to it anyway. And that's why in America you have traditional Republican states, traditional Democrat, Democrat states, it's traditional because the people just vote for Republican or for Democrats. In South Africa, the people's mind has been frozen for a long time over ANC fighting for their freedom. So no matter what ANC has done or not done, they will continue to vote for ANC over a long period of time before they can get rid of this obsession of ANC, this addiction to ANC. So it's, it's not about campaign or manifesto. It's about the frozen human mind over centuries. Okay, that's what, what, that's what you think. Thanks for that call, Felix. Uh, Professor Friedman, respond to that. Look, it's partly true in the sense that he's correct to say that there are very strong party loyalties and people tend to overlook all sorts of things. But, I mean, obviously, if what he said was entirely true, uh, then, you know, there wouldn't be terribly much change in election results from election to election. Yeah, yeah. And we know that they do change. Um, I think the reality is that, that what you find in most systems is that um, you know, there's a, there's a core of uh, people, core of voters who tend to remain loyal to the party no matter what. Uh, and then there's a section of voters who's, uh, you know, who may change their minds, uh, and that makes a huge difference. Uh, in our situation over the last 25 years, it hasn't made that much of a difference because uh, of the population makeup of the country, which means that uh, you've had one party which is, is, is you know, playing in a, a space where it's, it's, it's looking at, at 70% of the electorate and the other parties mm. are looking at 30% of the electorate. Uh, but that may be beginning to change.
change. Um, and if it begins to change, then what you'll find is quite small swings. What seem like quite small springs, swings make a big difference. Um, <clears throat> if you look at some other countries around the world, you can have a situation in which uh, a swing of, say, 2 or 3% uh, can make the difference between one party winning in a landslide and the other party winning in a landslide. Uh, because you've got two blocks of voters, one supporting party A, one supporting party B, and if two to three percent of them shift, uh, then actually the whole political system shifts. We aren't there yet, but I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not convinced we're not going to get there. Mm-hmm. Well, well, let's talk about the the issue of traditional voters because it's interesting the point that Felix brought up. But in in South Africa, of course, you know, before 1994, we we had a whole different demographic in terms of voting so uh, there was a sense certainly 94 onwards that the ANC as the party that probably did more than most uh, to deliver us freedom got the majority of the vote of course there are others who claim they, they made a major role but just didn't have the massive impact for a variety of reasons I think Azapo didn't contest that that uh, first election anyway right uh, do you find th- therefore that because of that historical tie-up that still by and large that voter percentage for the ANC hasn't changed significantly. And, and would you say the hold is still that? Well, we're, we're about, look, the hold over the last while or so has been weakening. If you're talking about the ANC specifically, yeah. the hold has been weakening. Uh, and I argued uh, in something I wrote a, a few weeks ago uh, <clears throat> that I think that the ANC is in a, a, a stage of decline at the moment. Uh, and my main reason for saying that was that uh, a core of ANC support has been black middle class voters. Uh, and I think that the evidence is quite strong that black middle class voters are deserting the ANC and they show no signs of going back. Uh, and secondly, uh, the ANC is not generating the kind of youth enthusiasm that it used to generate in the past. And, and you know, if you don't have a middle class, uh, and then you don't have the professional people and you don't have the skills you need, uh, and obviously if you don't have the young voters, you don't have the next generation. Uh, I don't think it's going to make that much difference this time because there are special circumstances this time. You had a change of leadership in the ANC, which I think is going to mean that a lot of non-middle class traditional ANC voters who were angry and stayed away in 2016 uh, are going to go to support the party because they want to give the new leadership a chance. Uh, but I'm not sure you know, that that's going to last because, as I say, if you, if you can't get that middle class support and you can't get uh, you know, the next generation of young leaders... Uh, then then you are in trouble. So, you know, these things don't change, as I said earlier. These things don't change quickly, but they do change over time. Let's get another call. Colin in Cape Town. Colin, you're on the air. Hi. Good evening, Russia. Good evening to your guests. You know, I'm listening to this, and I've watched and listened to other rallies and things like it, manifestos and things like it. You know, um, the, the, I'm not saying only the EFF, ANC do the same, all parties. When they have a rally like that, you know, uh, I, number one, would go if I was transported free of charge. You know what I mean? Things like that. Now, I wonder, does one go on the, uh, the crowd that's there, or is uh, uh, people who are picked up from Cape Town all over the country just to go to that rally? Now, I might not be a supporter of that party, but if I feel like I've got nothing to do for the weekend, ah, let me go, go by there for a free trip and go and listen. So, is it, is it uh, misleading? 
when you advertise and you, and you busload people in their thousands free of charge, can you guarantee that everybody there is your supporter? Thank you, Ashra. Mm, okay, thank you for that. Well, to, to, uh, Colin, to a degree we've touched on it, but let's get uh, Professor Friedman to respond that can you guarantee everybody there is a supporter? Well, I, I'd put it another way. I'd say even if everybody there is a supporter, uh, then the size of the, the rally is, is usually a very poor guide to how parties going to do in an election. And the obvious reason for that, and I must say it's a mistake people make very often, you know, you look at this crowd, etc., and, and what, you know, what is it, 20,000, 30,000, 50,000 people even, and, and you forget that there are over 20 million voters, you know, so uh, the fact that you're good at getting a whole lot of the people who are going to support you anyway into the stadium uh, doesn't mean that you're equally good at persuading all those people who wouldn't dream of going to the stadium that they ought to vote for you. Uh, and one of the most common mistakes uh, in this country in writing about elections since 1994 uh, is the mistake in which you say, oh, well, Party X has been getting a lot of people to its rallies. It's going to do very well. Uh, that's not necessarily the case. Mm. You know, whether, look, my guess is that, yes, I mean, the caller is correct in the sense that, you know, you can always pay people by, or give them T-shirts, etc. Uh, my gut feel is, uh, from what I've observed, that most of the people who go to the rallies really are party supporters. Uh, but these are the zealous people. These are the people who are already converted. You still have to convert the other 98% of the electorate if you want to do well. Which means, therefore, when when they talk these uh, these party leaders, as in uh, you know Malema, Maimani, uh, uh, Ramaphosa, and and everybody else as well, right? When they would address people in a rally, do they do they get it that the bigger audience is actually not at the rally, but the bigger audience is live on television and following it on social media, because that in sheer numbers would be the big audience. Oh, Look, Parliament's like, you know, we're going to see this later this week with the State of Nation address. Uh, I mean, Parliament's a very interesting place because most of the things that are said in Parliament are not actually meant for the people who are in Parliament. They're meant for, as you say, the people watching in various sort of media. And rallies are exactly the same. Uh, no political party leader gets up at a rally to speak to the people who are at the rally, who in any event, as I say, are the faithful who are going to cheer anyway. Uh, everything that's said at the rally is said for, is said for the wider public to try and persuade people to vote for the party. Mm. Okay. And just, just the last thing then on, on the issue of uh, the, the party posters, and I'm just talking about these one-liners with always the, the face of a party leader. First of all, uh, I think maybe I'll be IEC policy to have the party leader up from there. Do, do you think that works and, and the messaging that, that emanates from that? work if it's done properly because uh, you know if if you come up with a slogan or a message which which really strikes home to people then it can make a difference i mean obviously everything we've said this you know i'm, I'm, I'm putting this in, in within limits etc we, we've talked about party loyalties we've talked about the fact that you know people are inclined to vote for particular parties so we're not dealing with uh, 20 X million people who are simply open to persuasion if you come up with a nice slogan and the party with the best slogan wins. On the other hand, there are a significant number, as I mentioned, of people who haven't made their mind up. And if you're able to come up with a slogan on a billboard or uh, in a radio ad, whatever the case may be, or you put something out on social media, uh, which really strikes a chord with people, yes, it can make a significant difference to how many votes you get.
Well, that's, that's where we, in fact, are. We're going to leave it to Professor Friedman. Thanks for your time. You were going to be joined by Prince Mashila. My apologies. We stayed longer with you. But as always, very, very interesting and fascinating insights that you give us on the issues of what is a manifesto? Does it really work? And just to what degree do we get convinced by all of that? Or, in fact, maybe one question I haven't put through is, do we get convinced by polls? When you find that a party is done better than you expect uh, in the head of the election, you say, wow, maybe I should vote for that. Something to think about. Stephen, good chatting to you as always. Appreciate your time. Now, part of what we do at the end of uh, the show, the last 10 minutes before we get to the drama, of course, is we talk innovation because innovation is such an important issue that we that we cover. Right. So today uh, we're going to chat to Rihanna Musaji about getting your mind to think innovation right after this.